Ore rātau e korauwa wawe, pēnei a tātou kua mahue nei, e kore hokira e ngoi kore, ahakoa pēhia i ngā ahuatanga o te wā. I te heki ngā suotera, tainua ki te aranga mai i te ata, ka mai mahara tonu tātou, kia rātou. They shall grow not old, as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn at the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them. Ena mana e nga reo e nga kārangatanga maha o nga hau e whaa ko Maraia Rakaku tēnei. Ko Justin Maria hau, nau mai hara mai, nau mai kake mai ki tēnei hotaka a Te Ahikā. I'm Justin Murray and welcome to Te Ahikā on Radio New Zealand National. Radio New Zealand's Kaupapa Māori program and our ANZAC special. Throughout tonight's broadcast, we have recordings from the 2006 album Ake Ake Kia Kaha E, Songs of the New Zealand 28th Māori Battalion. The one you can hear at the moment is Tēnei Mātou e Tuatune, We Stand Here. In the late 1930s, it was common for waiata i te reo Māori to be written and sung using popular tunes of the day. You only need to hear the songs performed at the National Kapaka competitions to get an idea of how this practice has continued. Tonight we're also looking at the range of ways the 28 Māori Battalion is memorialised, including tertiary scholarships in the name of the very first Māori Victoria Cross holder, Te Moana Nui Akiwa Narimu. As well as a range of postage stamps launched at Parliament last week which feature the faces of all the Victoria Cross holders except Willie Apiata who is the only one still living. And a website whose hit rate increases daily and is turning into a bit of a genealogy tool for a generation wanting to reconnect with the wartime histories of their grandfathers and great-grandfathers. Whilst we, um, that's myself and Monty Suter, we look after the website um, at the Ministry for Culture and Heritage, our, you know, we really want the site to be about the community and the descendants of the soldiers from the um, Māori battalions. A soldier proves himself in battle and demonstrates the values and behaviour worthy of a medal of the highest order, yet it isn't awarded. Paul Moon, author of the Hanet Manahi story, Victoria Cross Battle Act Kroner, explains... I don't think there's any question in anyone's minds when they heard about this that he was deserving of the Victoria Cross. Um, people were almost speechless when they found out what he had done. It, it was remarkable by any measure. And very quickly, the paperwork was done, the details of what he had achieved were written down, and it was endorsed by a number of generals all the way up to Montgomery and Wilson. It was then sent to the... Victoria Cross Committee in London and it was there that someone struck through the letters VC which had been typed on the initial citation page and replaced them with a handwritten DCM Distinguished Conduct Medal so presumably someone in London decided well we're going to downgrade this and no reason was given the, the most likely reason is that another Murray had been from the battalion had received a Victoria Cross about three weeks earlier and it's possible to speculate that the committee thought, well, we can't have two people from the same battalion getting a Victoria Cross so close to each other, so they thought, well, we'll downgrade this one. 
Nā rere te iwi, koe rara ngā kaupapa Māori mo te haura e hariake nei. That's right, for the next hour or so, stay locked in. John Waititi is accustomed to leading men, both as a major in the 28th Māori Battalion during the Second World War and in his farming practice at Raukokore in the Eastern Bay of Plenty. Responsibility came early. John was just 16 when he took on the Fano farm following his father's death. And doing that also ended his schooling at Te Aute Māori Boys College in Te Hauke, Hawke's Bay. In this corridor with Mariah recorded last year, the 28th Māori Battalion vet recalls his first journey on a train, aged 12, which is how he found out he was going to boarding school. I was told I was going to go on the car, meet the service car, and then I was going to stay in that service car till I got to Tati College. And Tati College is right down below there, you know? Down just out of Hastings? <laughs> yeah. So you didn't know where you were actually going? No, I didn't know. Except on the, on the map, that was the only thing I knew. And then I wasn't a very good map reader. <laughs> <laughs> so did the whānau not tell you because they think you oh, want to yeah, go? Yeah, they, they thought I knew all these things. Yeah. Or, or, or they, I don't know, they, they thought, oh, he'd find his own way. <laughs> But my dad was the most um, instructive one. Koeteng wao to papa? Mohone. Mohone waititi. Koeteng wao to mama? Heneriata. So you went on a little adventure in the car, in the service car? Yeah. Mm. I was put on this chair and I thought, stay there. <laughs> <laughs> For get how off. many hours? Oh, <laughs> it, it was a whole day, you know. Yes. It was quite... Uh, and uh, we changed the bus once in Gisborne. You know, when we got to Gisborne, the bus was changed and we went down there down the coast to Itaute. It was all a matter of sitting here, right? That's what my father told me to do. Don't get off. <laughs> Stay on there, otherwise you get lost. And I, I imagine being being lost in the, you know, all I had to do was look at the map I was supposed to be going down. <laughs> <laughs> and if I get lost up here, I get no job of finding myself over here or over there. There were other boys on the on the train, but they were they were you know second and third third years, and they weren't very happy about playing around with the <laughs> new chum. <laughs> <laughs> so you get to the station. Yeah, you get to the station and. And uh, they used to have a 
horse and cart, you know. You take the the, the luggage on that. We walked there. It was about a mile and a half, I think, from the station to, <laughs> to, the, to the school. Yeah, they were. And, uh, and the horse and cart took, took our bags and... And the smart ones got on the cart with the, with the bag. <laughs> and that's how you ended up at Teote. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was my introduction to Teote. And how did you find it? Very, very, very uh, lonely, lonesome. And uh, when I was uh, given my uh, now. Dormitory. I went into my dormitory with my bag and got sat down on the on the on the bed that they told me was mine. And I waited and waited. This was afternoon, yeah, and it was getting late in the afternoon. And you must have been hungry too. Yeah, I'm hungry. So I went out and looked for somebody to ask them where, where you can get a feed. And, oh, I, I had just about searched the whole, whole place before I found anybody. Everybody was busy doing their own own things, you know? Because the school hadn't really opened. Yeah. Could you speak I, English? Yeah, yeah. You could speak English? Mm. And that was the... The thing I had over a lot of the other boys, they couldn't speak Māori. <laughs> and I thought I was quite neat. <laughs> <laughs> you could speak Māori and yeah. English? Yeah, yeah. Mm. How was it that you knew how to speak English? Uh, my mum taught me all the, all that she was ex-school uh, school teacher. And, uh, yeah, she, she founded me and all both English and, and Māori. Mm. Mm. So you went looking for someone for to ask where to have a feed? Did you yeah. find somebody? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I found it hard, you know, because I always relied on mum or the bigger, older sister to do, do things, you know. And all of a sudden I found myself having to do these things, go and ask people for things. And mind you, I think by the time I got to, to Hastings, I, I didn't care who I spoke to. <laughs> <laughs> Did you make good friends when you were there? Yes, very quickly. Because yeah. mm. mm. everybody's lonesome. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Were many of the people from local Kurini? Mm. No, the none. None. <laughs> nobody. No, nobody. No one from Fanawapanui. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone from Fakatua here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there were some. From yeah, I think there were, there were some from uh, Fanawapanui, but but it was. Um, Oh, you know, I spent quite a few hours. Uh, we went to lay on our, our bed to see it. We had dormitories with, where we stayed. So I used to go down under a big tree and, 
have a tangy noise. Oh, <laughs> oh. Trying to get home. Did you try and run away? No, no. You're a good boy. You were told yeah. to stay there and you stayed. That's right. Well, I think uh, whoever uh, instructed me to, to go there, um, it was by bus. But, uh, I realised how far away I was from home <laughs> and the hometown. Did you go home at all for the holidays? Mm, yes, but it wasn't until the... Uh, freedom! <laughs> yeah, freedom, all right. It was the second year. I didn't go back. You know, go, go home for a holiday. I stayed, stayed at school. Um, I found a job. They, they had a, a, a herd of cows milking uh, about 50 or 80 cows, I think it was. And, and that was the boys' uh, job, milking the cows. Uh, mind the rotation. And because when it came to holiday time, I had no trouble getting a job. Yeah, the one I Still there, spent. you would have only been about 14 or 15. Yeah, yeah. But I could milk a cow. Of course, because <laughs> you'd come from there. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Who were some of your mates at school? Hmm? What were the names of some of your mates at school? Oh, uh, there's uh, Harry Logan. Um, these, are, these are my favourites. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse, Jesse Baum, Kamati Letu, Letu, but you know the, the the number of uh, of boys who are there. There were only about 60, yeah? which is quite, quite small. And uh, when I, I started there, it was about the second time that Teotihuacan had started up again. They were struck by the, a big uh, earthquake there. 1931 earthquake? Yeah. Mm. They put them out of action for mm. quite a few years because uh, all the buildings, the side buildings and the main building, they were all uh, destroyed. The side ones especially, the side ones had the, the dining room and, and the scullery and the top was a dormitory. And, uh, Well, I think it was my first year there that we had this uh, this uh, earthquake. And that really knocked all the top stories of the two wings. And uh, the school went into, into uh, for quite a while, about six months, I think. Um, they didn't 
they had to send the, the boys back. Yeah. And, uh, did you did you learn anything when you were at Taiti? Oh yes, yeah. What were some of the things you learned? Uh, you mean school-wise? Yes. Yeah. Uh, geography, history, Māori. Uh, you were learning Māori even though you spoke Māori? Yeah. Mm. Which made it easy, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and especially when I, I realised that uh, the teachers wasn't that flesh with Maria. Oh, no, I really. <laughs> you took advantage. Yeah, I took advantage. <laughs> Namihi mahana ki akwe, he mori hu o te hokufitu atu, rua te koma waru. John Waititi, notifano apanui, nati poro hoki. A longer version of that call it all will be available after this broadcast on our webpage at radioNZ.co.nz forward slash teahika. And while there, have a look around the page. There's a photo gallery and archived programs. Ko Maraya Rakrakuahau. Ko Justin Maritine, and you're listening to our ANZAC special dedicated to the 28th Māori Battalion. E is one of the more recognisable names in the country. As you'll know, he is the only living New Zealand holder of the Victoria Cross, the highest military medal a New Zealand soldier can receive. He joins the ranks of others, including Ngāti Poro, Moana Nui Akiwa Ngārimu, who have been memorialised on a series of stamps launched last week. I'm with Ivor Masters, Head of Stamps and Collectibles for New Zealand Post. That's right, uh, my team um, are the ones that actually comes up with the original concepts, um, make sure that we go through all the processes to make sure the facts are right, arrange for the stamps to be made and the book to be developed, as well as um, making sure that we make sure all the families and are, are a part of this wonderful celebration of the VC recipients. How long was this project in the pipeline for? I mean, you had to deal with families. There's permission, there's... There's the pictures themselves. How long did that take? Well, we got most of um, this done early, late last year. But the original concept was about nine months ago. And um, we've been working significantly with the Defence Forces, the RSAs, museums around the countries. Now, Corporal Willie Apiatha chose not to be on a stamp. Um, and I believe it's because the, 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 the 22 VC recipients have all died was how did you deal with that as um, I suppose it's a cultural it's a zone personal um, feeling towards not being on the stamp how did you deal with it well obviously you have to respect uh, his views and um, there's no way we would go against um, Mr Apiata but uh, at the same time it's it's a really is a clear message about the person himself and uh, how humble he is in, in actually 
recognising those that's gone before him and respectfully has uh, chosen that way in which to, to show it. Can we take a bit of a walk to the, um, to one of the, to the book? Yes, by all Seeing here that everybody leaving here today will be given uh, their own copy of the sheet of stamps, which shows all the 22 recipients wow. and their images. Do I get one? Uh, yes, you'll get one. I have all masters giving me a copy of the... <laughs> so um, tell us about it. I'm going to open this. You can see from here that this is a commemorative... Um, from the actual stamp launch today. And each person that's attended has given this most wonderful uh, example of the actual stamp sheet that's sold in post shops, on the web, and through our real outlets. And you can see each individual recipient, they've got their own images or portraits which show not only what they look like, but also their uniform that they wore and uh, special uh, mention should be made, obviously, about uh, Corporal William Appiata about his actual Victoria Cross is actually shown oh, on the stand right. rather than his image. So instead of his picture, the middle right. shows you. So, is his name on there? Well, it is, it, it, his name is on there. Very small. You can just see that there. Oh, yes, there can it you is. you see that? Well, Bill these, Henry Appiata. That's right. And each of these stamps are 60 cents. So it's really great for New Zealanders to be able to use and communicate. Likewise, a very, very special book has been made called The New Zealand Story. And this book actually shows the actual uh, stories of um, how they came to get the VC, uh, their citations, the lovely in-depth stories, and it really is a remarkable book. So, and at the same time, there's some quite special uh, stamp product in there that you can only get in the book. So it's great for collectors. Uh, of stamps. So it really is very, very special. I've all masters. Thank you very much. Thank you. Justine then joined veterans Nolan Laihania, Arthur Midwood and Tepuhi Patara. Here's Nolan stating that while it's been 70 years, it's a great way of remembering the men. And when Justine asks him about Willy Apiata's decision not to have his face shown on the stamps as he's the only living soldier, Nolan agrees. In terms of tikana Māori, it's the right decision. Kia ora. Kia ora. Uh, ko wai tō ingoa? No rai hānia. Well, no ngāti proa, no tāmanuhini. Yeah. Kia ora. What do you think about the stamps tonight? Well, I think we're kikitinga stamps. Nengani, tātou tau pō, eh? Pō, whakainehina. Yeah, yeah. Oh, kāpai. Ko te tika ko tēnei mea, o te maumahara ki a rātou, ko tōna tika ngā. Ko me... もうもうなってまいまいやいやあれ伝えられるもんないねいやどうでもでもでもでもでもでもでもでもでもでもでもでもでもでもでもでもでもでもでもでもでもでもでもでもでもでもでもでもでもでもでもでもでもでもでもで
According to some, another 28th Māori Battalion soldier was unfairly never awarded the same honour. Paul Moon is the author of Victoria Cross at Takrona, the Hane Manahi story. He wrote it after being approached by the Manahi Fano to write the story of their father. He joins us now. Well, born in Ohenemutu in Rotorua at the beginning of the 20th century, 1913, he um, really an unremarkable person, like I suppose most other normal people, thrust into war. And he was put in a situation in, at Takrona in 1943 where he and a number of other troops carried out acts of extraordinary bravery which is recommended for Victoria Cross. And there's really nothing much in his early life to suggest that he was heading in this direction. So it's not as though he joined the army at a young age and decided that would be his career. He was actually um, training to become a builder. But it was just circumstance, like so many other young men, they decided they would they would enlist, and he did so. And the situation arose, and he performed exceptionally. Now, where's Takaruna? It's in Tunisia, in North Africa. And... It's, it's the physical feature of it is quite significant. Um, most of the terrain in the region is fairly f- flat and dry and sandy. This is a large limestone outcrop. It sticks up a couple of hundred metres, and it was formidably guarded by about two or three hundred German and Italian troops. And this was where Manahi and a few of his men were placed in the middle of 1943. They were ordered to fire on this particular feature just to... If they saw anyone, any Italian or German troops on the cliffs or anywhere, they would fire on them just so that they could keep, if, if you like, keep the situation under control to prevent too many of the enemy troops on the location from firing back at anyone else. And that was, that, those are the orders Hani was given. Um, at some point, though, he and a few of his colleagues decided to disobey the orders. And when asked why, and it was only ever one interview about this, in the early 80s, he was asked why did he disobey orders and he said he saw a couple of enemy troops and he thought well I'm going to shoot at them and he he and his men were successful and they thought well we might actually approach this feature and once they got a foothold they thought we we saw one or two more and that's really what drew him and the other troops into Takruna that they had a few early successes and at the time he had no idea how many men were on this feature. In fact even as late as, as the early 80s when he was interviewed about this, um, the interviewer said, do you know that there were 300 enemy troops there? And he was surprised because he had no idea even then exactly how many Germans and Italians were at Takruna. So it was a step-by-step action to take the site. So he was just reacting to the circumstance around him, wasn't he? He was, and but more importantly, he was taking the initiative. And one of the things that distinguishes his action from so many other Victoria Cross actions, and I've gone through a great many of them in the research for the book, is that most other people who are awarded the Victoria Cross are done so for an act of extreme bravery. And if you look at them, they're, they're astonishing. Each of them is, is worthy in their own right. What makes Manahi's situation slightly different is that he committed numerous acts of extreme bravery over a couple of days. So it wasn't as though it was one particular act that was extraordinary. They just piled on top of each other. And he, for example, managed to get between anywhere between 70 and 110 enemy prisoners, marched them off the feature. He eventually, with only a, a few other men, led an assault which enabled the Allies to seize Takruna. It's astonishing. Um, he were in the end I think about five or six men left and they managed to conquer this feature with 
which had, I think, somewhere between two or 300 heavily armed enemy troops. So what you've described to me as a layperson sounds like, well, it is pretty astonishing. So why then was he recommended for Victoria Cross? Why then that it was downgraded? I don't think there's any question in anyone's minds when they heard about this that he was deserving of the Victoria Cross. Um, people were almost speechless when they found out what he had done. It, it was remarkable by any measure. And very quickly... The paperwork was done, the details of what he had achieved were written down and it was endorsed by a number of generals all the way up to Montgomery and Wilson. It was then sent to the Victoria Cross Committee in London and it was there that someone struck through the letters VC which had been typed on the initial citation page and replaced them with a handwritten DCM, Distinguished Conduct Medal. So... Presumably someone in London decided, well, we're going to downgrade this, and no reason was given. The, the most likely reason is that another Murray had been from the battalion had received a Victoria Cross about three weeks earlier, and it's possible to speculate that the committee thought, well, we can't have two people from the same battalion getting a Victoria Cross so close to each other, so they thought, well, we'll downgrade this one. So it was timing. And the other Māori you're talking about is Te Moana Nuiaki Wanarimu. That's right. Who, with Uli Apiata, are the only Māori that have been awarded the Victoria Cross. That's right. So it was timing then. Or was it, was it more a political reason? I don't think it's, there was anything political about it. I think it's just an expedience matter more than anything. They thought, mm-hmm. well, look, we, we're getting recommendations, citations all the time. And there were some that might have been downgraded, but in this case, they uh, might have been an informal quota. And this has been a suggestion that's been around for some time now that there was only so many Victoria Crosses that could be awarded, and awarding two to one battalion in such close succession might seem a bit odd. Is there evidence of that happening for other battalions, Paul? No, there's not. Partly because of the the nature of when these things are recommended. It's just, I think, as you said, bad timing that it was so close to another one having been awarded. Um, had it been six months apart, who knows, it could have been quite a different outcome. So in this day and age, why should it matter? Well, the number of reasons why it's very important. The first one is that if if you look at the the sort of things that Manahi did to get the VC recommendation, this is not by any measure a marginal recommendation. Quite the opposite. This is a very strong endorsement from some of the most senior people in the Allied High Command at the time. So there's no question that he deserved it. By having it downgraded, it not only reflects on him, but it reflects on his company and, in fact, the whole of the battalion, that they were deserving of another Victoria Cross, um, but it wasn't received. And so it's not just a personal issue. As I say, it radiates out to everyone who was part of the battalion. Which ends up, of course, radiating out towards his hapu, his iwi and his whanau. And then the second part of the the book, the Hane Manahi story, Victoria Cross at Takaruna, you actually start looking at how the Fano, especially following his death in 1986, took up the the uh, challenge of getting the Victoria Cross reinstated. Yes, that, that's true to an extent, although the Fano themselves tended to keep a distance. It was really others who were concerned about this. In fact, there was a committee formed, um, Sir Charles Bennett, who was Manahi's commander at one stage during the war, um, was very active when he was alive trying to get various officials to reconsider this to see if the VC could be effectively reinstated or awarded. Um, 
Charles Bennett died and it was taken up by other people, including Norman Bennett, and there, there was a very strong case put to the government. And at one stage, Phil Goff and Norman Bennett went to Buckingham Palace to discuss this with the Queen. And a compromise solution was reached, but for some people it still wasn't satisfactory. Um, and there's a lot of debate about who was responsible for the fact that Manahi wasn't awarded a posthumous VC. Um, and that's one of those things that, again, there's not quite enough evidence to pin it on any single person, but there, it seems to be faults on a number of sides. And again, it seems to be a thing around timing. That's right. Um, one of the things that the Queen said is that um, her father had announced after the war that I think about 1947, I think it was, that there would be no further VCs awarded for actions in the Second World War. And that was the Queen's answer to the pleas from New Zealand that Manahi be given a VC. Um, one of the criticisms, though, is that Manahi wasn't... People supporting Manahi's case um, weren't looking for a new VC. What they were looking for was for the original recommendation to be followed through. So there was a bit of a technicality there, but right. um, either way, a compromise situation was reached, which left some people happy, um, which left some people unhappy, and I suppose that's the nature of these things. And what was that? What was reached, Paul? Well, there was there were various gifts given by the Queen to Tarawa in recognition of Manahi's bravery, and there was a, a an altar cloth, a sword, a letter from the Queen, and these were the three tokens. Now, some people were very grateful for that. They said it was a, a very dignified and elegant solution to the situation that otherwise might not be resolved at all. Others said, well, look, he deserved a VC. These trinkets don't count. In fact, I think there was one member from the Maori Battalion who refused to turn up when the ceremony took place to give these items to, to Tarawa because he said, this isn't the recognition that my comrade deserved. He deserved the Victoria Cross. We're not going to accept anything less. And has that ended the rarirari surrounding the downgraded VC? I think for some people, it's like a lot of grievances. If they're not properly resolved, they remain. And you can suppress them, you can pretend they're not there, you can say, well, life goes on, that's history now. But for some people, there's still that nagging sense that justice wasn't done. That, as I say, this wasn't some marginal case that they're trying to push over the threshold to be entitled to get a VC. This was something, by any measure, and even by the measure of other people who have received Victoria Crosses, this is something exceptional. And not to be given the VC has caused some concern for some people and um, they still feel a sense of grievance but in practical terms I suspect there's not much now that can be done. Kia ora, author Paul Moon talking about his book The Victoria Cross at Tikrona, the Hane Manahi story. Now as you heard in that cordero, just a few weeks before the battle at Tikrona, another 28th Māori Battalion soldier the Moana Nui Akiwanarimu was awarded the VC and every year scholarships are awarded in his honour to Māori tertiary students demonstrating excellence. This year when the nine recipients whānau all waited for the whakatau to begin in a hall at Parliament, one family were especially nervous, but not for the reasons you may think. I just heard um, a story about the, the mission, I suppose you could call it, to get here. Can you tell me about it? Oh, oh dear, yes. <laughs> well, um, we were all meeting at uh, Parliament um, at quarter to nine, travelled from um, Hamilton, and um, Luke's dad was flying in from Christchurch, 
and his partner was flying in from Auckland and he was flying down from Hamilton. And we thought that they would all get here first, but we actually beat them. And we, we received a phone call from um, his dad that the air, they had trouble landing, and so they were at the airport uh, delayed by an hour and a half. So, oh well. We were um, at the buildings here waiting for the recipient to arrive. So um, he eventually arrived. Oh, so, so, so Dad was coming with Luke. No, 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 yeah. Luke was coming from Hamilton. Luke was coming from Hamilton. Yes, yes. And Louis Mata, his partner, was coming from Auckland, and Dad was flying up from Christchurch. <laughs> wow, it was a real whānau <laughs> friend, no ngā hauwe So, Te Atakura, tell, tell us about um, Luke and, and, and his, um, his, his schooling from, he spoke about Kohangareo to Kurakaupapa to Teaute, and now he's in tertiary study. So, so how's that journey as a mum? Have, you've watched your son grow into this fantastic oh, man. A very exciting journey for, for myself and his dad and his um, two sisters. And, of course, his, his wider whānau, whānau whānui. Um, we've watched him. He has had such passion about many things, in his um, life, he was always a very curious boy from day one, um, and very, um, yeah, very curious and always wanting to know and learn, and in particular, learn about his tonataha Māori. Um, and um, I would, I would speak to his uh, un- his auntie and I, my sister and I, would would call it all Māori in front of him, and he would always sit there and stare. And he would wonder what we were saying, so he was driven by, um, yeah, by his whānau to to pursue everything around his tahamari, his reo. Um, and it hasn't always been easy, but um, you know, it's it's wonderful when you have a, a child who wants to do greater things, learn greater things, um, because I know as a mum, I have a reason to be on on Papatūnuku. <laughs> and um, when you know, I, when Luke um, tries or he pursues something, he really plans it out carefully and he maps out all the logistics of how that's going to happen. And so, receiving the scholarship for him has—it's—he's um, at the end of his uh, his undergraduate degree. But um, he was just saying today that he wanted to mention in his speech how um, he woke up. And it was like, um, gosh, another year. And uh, he felt he didn't have a whole lot of energy, but receiving this award today has just powered him ahead. And, um, yeah, he's, he's really excited. He's so thrilled. We're all thrilled. We're all very proud. But having said that, he's worked very hard. He's and, worked hard for it. Yeah, and um, and he and, and I'm, I'm particularly proud of the fact that he will... I know he will give back to Māori. He will, he will give back in many, many ways. And not only his own whānau, hapu and, and iwi, but um, the wider Māori community. So, yeah, it's, it's exciting. Kapai. As a mum, have you had to kind of help out Luke financially over the years? Oh, yes. <laughs> mum, can yes. I read the cupboards? No. <laughs> I mean, how has that kind of been for you? Oh, gosh, yes. You know, I put him through Teotihuacan College. You know, that was um, difficult financially. But, you know, you don't look at the, the finances. If you're driven, he's driven. Um, you know, kā way 
tona ahuatanga. Um, Iro tu inga mea Māori katoa. Uh, I te kure o uh, te aute, i whāngai te aute ki aia tona, tona whakapapa. Um, ngā kōrero e pāna ki a tāpera nangata, wera, wera rangatiro o te rakura. Uh, me, me ngā... Mm, I tōna hairinga ki te kura kaupapa Māori o te ararima, tōna kōhanga reo ki waiohiki marae. Ai, we, we rā kura katoa i whāngai um, kia roto uh, Luke, te mātauranga Māori. Uh, te wairua Māori, i te wai hari e ki uh, te aute, uh, ka akoia ki te kaikarakia. Koe, Koia tētahi o ngā kaikariki e te kurarā. Uh, no reira, ka pai, ka pai ki au. Ka pai. So just, just going from what we have here at um, Te Atakura, uh, Luke is part of the National Māori Tertiary Students Association Admissions Appeals Committee, Cultural Committee, mentors Māori law students, and he also intends to complete his Masters in Law. Pretty exciting. He's a busy body, isn't he? <laughs> he is a Gosh, busy. I wish he'd come home and wash the dishes. <laughs> See, well, that, that's what it's all about. <laughs> wash the dishes. <laughs> so, Takura, when, you, when uh, Luke became aware that he was a recipient of the Ngari Movie C scholarship, uh, how did the whānau react? Oh, in, in fact, he actually kept it quiet to him for a little bit uh, because he was a little bit sort of like, um, wow, he'd received the scholarship. But um, he, he sent us all a text to come and... Um, see him. Um, he's flatting with his partner at the time and uh, we, so we all turned up to his flat because he had some really exciting news and um, yeah, he told us and it was about 10.30 at night and um, he'd received a text from someone to say that he was a recipient of it and so yeah, we, we, were, we were thrilled, thrilled to bits we're all jumping up in the lounge Jumping up and down with excitement because he deserves it. Yeah, he does work very hard. Luke Klassen's mother, Te Atakura Klassen, no Nati Parau. The remaining scholars, Te Kahautu Maxwell, Diane Dangihuna, Te Ruareihana Tipuki, Kawati Waitford, David Mukunui Arangi Smith, and Apirana Pefairangi will be profiled in future Te Ahika programs. Historian Monty Suter is synonymous with anything to do with the 28th Māori Battalion. There's Ngā Tamatua, The Price of Citizenship, a tome of a book published in 2008 that is the definitive history of C Company. So who asked to lead the team behind the 28th Māori Battalion website? Well, it was launched in uh, July 2008, and it was an initiative that came from the 28th Māori Battalion Association, the veterans themselves, actually, who... um, saw this as a way to remember not just uh, the 28 Māori Battalion, but their deeds, which they uh, felt were worth passing on to future generations of, of Māori particularly. And um, so they approached Tupuni Kōkiri, and uh, through Tupuni Kōkiri, they approached the Ministry for Culture and Heritage, Te Manatū Taonga, uh, to become a, uh, involved and um, who are kind of experts in creating websites um, around war and uh, they the, they all work together to create this uh, website which is a memorial to 
the 28th and the way in which the veterans uh, had first perceived it. So its purpose is to educate and to be there as a standing living record. Yes, it's um, it's kind of a unique uh, website uh, in terms of memorials because communities are actively participating in building it. Uh, for example, there were 3,600 men in the battalion and we've put a page up for each man and we rely on families or people who knew the men to supply photographs, memorabilia relating to that um, to that soldier. Um, so you see uh, letters coming in and photographs and uh, uh, we get to learn more about the man through... Uh, those contributions by families. I mean, the government or the army has only got so many records in relation to the 28 Māori Battalion, and we really do rely on uh, contributions from others to make it um, to make this thing work. So it's the first port of call if you want to learn anything about the Māori Battalion uh, at the moment, uh, at least through um, electronically, uh, and it'll, it we're hoping to make it um, a portal to all things related to the history of the Māori Battalion. Because just when I did a hit rate on um, a hit on Google for the 28th Māori Battalion, I came up with a couple of other websites that aren't related to that website at all. So one was an online gaming clan website, and one was a, um, a... what do you call the different uh, a branch kind of website? You generally find if you Google to an Admiral Battalion, that's the first site that comes up. Uh, the ones you're referring to uh, is the associations, the Twenty Eight Admiral Battalion Associations website, which was created quite a few years ago now, and um, I guess this has uh, grown out of that, and uh, and people are using the Twenty Eight Admiral Battalion name because it's popular and. Mm. Um, because of their reputation to promote a range of things. Um, but uh, if you're actually interested in the history and the men who were in the unit, uh, I don't think you're going to find anything that's more accurate than the, um, the website that we've got running. So let's talk about accuracy then. If you've got personalised accounts from Farno, and then maybe an account from a soldier... How how can you be sure that they that they match, like over an event? How do, how do you kind of test? I mean, for want of a better word, test the accuracy of some of the information you're getting because there's so much emotion tied to it, mm. and you're hearing third, you know, third fourth accounts of something. Yep. I guess you can only do so much. I, I was brought on to the project in first uh, February this year. Probably for, that was part of the reason I was brought on with uh, a wide. And knowledge of the of the two H activities and being able to um, assess some of the information that comes in to see whether um, how accurate it is and to share with the provider that information whether we think it's accurate or not. Um, but you got to be uh, you got to be flexible because uh, one you're looking for accuracy, but families are putting stuff up because that's the way they recall they remember their father or grandfather mm. and you've got to balance it against that as well and you've got to be I guess very um, tactical in how you share with them <laughs> um, how accurate that information is and I think what we're doing right now is starting to provide um, 70 years ago this month so if you go on the website today you'll see month of April 
um, covered in detail based on the Māori Battalion's diaries and a, a range of information that we've had access to uh, to allow people and to see, I guess, some in-depth information around the battalion, which might actually help them in when they're providing information to, to, to know how accurate it actually is just by reading if you go and, and read what happened in April, it's down to the detail of, of men, where they got killed um, or wounded or were taken prisoner, things that you don't find in the official histories because they don't get down to that sort of detail. Mm. Uh, so we're going to be doing that for every month of the um, of the five or six years that the battalion was away overseas, which is, I think, really quite exciting. Myself, in, in working on the side, I'm always trying to get my head into the... Uh, the way Māori or, or anybody really uh, thinks about um, the 2-8 in terms of what information they would be after and trying to present material on there that would uh, that would be um, useful to them. And uh, I remember as a young lad growing up and wanting to find out about an uncle, for example, and going to Cody's official history of the unit and uh, finding very little. Um, I think there was a one-liner in there about him. And so I know that people, they just want to see something about their tibuna. Um And the key things they're looking for is a photograph, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's a letter with his handwriting. Uh, and um, something about what he did in the war, where he, was, where he was. Those are the sorts of things that we're trying to provide. And as I say, in the end, families will be... The, the you know the final port of call to make that happen because they have the letters and they have... Um, information, I suppose, oral accounts that have been passed down to them uh, that would, you know, make it a bit more informative. So basically you and the team are like caretakers. You're kaitiaki because you're seeing these original documents or photographs, handwritten letters that they hand over to you. Yep, and so it's a huge responsibility. Um, I had plenty of experience with it um, mm. in working on sea companies. So, um, so you're talking about the sea company book, Natama Tour, the price of yes, citizenship. Yes, and collecting information for that. Uh, really, what we're doing on a website is probably that experience again times four other companies. So there was roughly 950 men in the 28 uh, well in sea company. We're now talking about 3,600 in the. 28 Māori Battalion, so it's taking that experience and um, you're just um, multiplying that by four, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's a huge commitment, but um, I, I think it's wonderful what, what we did in when we were doing Ngātamatoa and the Sea Company, a lot of that was um, without electronic means. It, we're speed up now because people can correspond, they can add to the site um, electronically, it's just a, a so much faster. I mean, when we and were interactive, interactive, and you're getting answers pretty quickly. Mm. When we were collecting photographs, for example, when I started back in 1993, it was taking a camera around my eyes and to families, and just doing it one by one, making a copy of a photograph. Now people can just scan and send in, mm. and uh, we encourage um, people if you if you got photographs, get get the younger members of the family to scan them and and pop them into the site. Um, so we're hoping to get a photograph of every man who served in the 28 Māori Battalion up onto the website. And how's it going? 
I think um, we were doing a tally recently. We've got about a thousand. Jeez. Of the three thousand six hundred. Because and everyone would have had a photo taken, wouldn't they, at the time that they enlisted? Not necessarily. Um, mm. What? Well, they were reinforcement group photographs, but then there a lot of them aren't identified, and we're going to put those up on the website and. We rely on people to be able to identify their, their tipuna. But a lot of the times, before they went overseas, they went to studios and had photographs taken of them and their mates or brothers that they left with families. But there were no official individual photographs taken. So again, it comes down to families who have those photographs providing copies. And I think, you know, we've moved on in the last 10 or 20 years in that people aren't so protective. Uh, um, I know when we were doing C Company... Some of the, the old queer just didn't want to let the photograph out of their sight for fear of losing it. Yeah. Uh, but now you don't even have to do that. Well, now they can be digitised. Yeah. Sent from mm. home, yeah. So with your long-term involvement with the Māori Battalion, C Company, so we're looking at 16-plus years, have you found that you're hearing stories that corroborate each other just through different accounts of things that you're hearing? Because I'm, I'm assuming as a historian that stuff's kind of gold. You find yourself remembering something that you heard yeah. maybe 10 years ago and now you're hearing it and going, oh, so is that what happened mm. there? Because you yeah. would have heard so many unfinished stories. I mean, a great one we heard recently um, from a veteran who's, who's only just passed away last month um, we had accounts of uh, the 28th Māori Battalion in the Mavroneri Gorge in in Greece at the place called uh, Olympus Pass. And so we knew 600-odd soldiers pulled out of there in, in pouring rain and dark and came out over Olympus Pass. Um, but they left behind uh, a handful of, of their men. I think there was 18 missing in the end, but um, we actually came across this veteran who was one of those who was, yeah, who was able to give us an account of the next day waking up in the gorge uh, or, or when the, the sun rose and being you know a group of six of them there and the other 600 are gone and just the feeling of uh, helplessness being left you know while the, the whole New Zealand division is on retreating out of the country uh, and uh, it's just um, great to hear that that story and another account and, and get his perspective because he ended up in, in a prisoner war camp as a result of that. And um, it's it's great to be able to go and sit down with a veteran. There's so few of them, 43 left today. And with all that, uh, those stories, to be able to you know, ask them what reinforcement you were in and get straight to where they were overseas <laughs> and you got that advantage of knowing where they were and um, you're able... Well, I think they appreciate it too, the to know somebody who knows something about the war. And I'm ex-army too, so you understand the the language that they're talking when they're using terms like battalion, platoon, company. Um, yeah, so it's been a, a long learning curve, but... Um, has, has it been, has it taken an emotional toll? Oh, I would, I'd say so. You don't realise it at the time, but uh, as these men pass away, uh, on reflection, you realise that... Um, you were actually, they were seeing that they were going to be passing away and they were conveying it to you. For example, um, one Māori Battalion veteran in the last three weeks before he passed away, when I was talking to him and his wife, they were recounting how their, his dreams were more vivid um, than ever before of his men um, 
coming to him in dreams, the men from the war that had been killed, uh, calling to him, and he mm-hmm. said he, he said how he could see, you know, their faces a lot clearer than he ever did in his in his nightmares um, earlier in his life. And uh, I realised afterwards, after he passed away, and then having this experience again with some other veterans, that that's part of, um, I guess, the passing over. That they they actually getting signs of it before it happens. And emotionally, you you realise, I guess, having been close to these guys in the latter part of their lives, and as a Maori too, that you've got a front up at these tangi, <laughs> and um, you know that's that. that takes a, a bit out of you. Well, that's part of the responsibility, eh? Mm-hmm. Mm. And you're aware of that too when you're going to them and, you, you know, they're pretty aged. Well, I'll probably next time I see this person, I'll be coming to their funeral and that's, that's uh, quite hard, but you learn to cope with it. Um, because it's quite intimate details that they tell you, isn't it? Mm. Sometimes it may not even be stuff that their family are that's aware right, of. Yeah. And, yeah, you, you, you go along to the funerals and you, and you hear their families say that that my, you know, my father or my grandfather never told us anything about the war and yet he's revealed to you um, so much detail and so being a third person is, you know, who's come into their lives especially at this late stage in their, in their lives is, is kind of helpful to the family because you can then share that information with them and or, or give it back to them and especially if we've interviewed them and I think um, that's the beauty of the site because that's about what we're doing at the moment is trying to put that information up on the site to family members so they've got access to it. A lot of them are overseas now, but they can access it uh, easily through the website from anywhere in the world. And uh, I think over the two years that I'm involved with the site, at least we'll be trying to load as much information as we can to you know, help people have a better appreciation of what their family members were involved with in World War Two. Because sometimes people enter the site with very limited with limited information as to, as to their tupuna as well, eh? Yes, and it's an easy site to find your way around and it's, um, as I say, over the coming months we're trying to make it uh, more user-friendly uh, for people who are trying to track information about individuals, about campaigns, about the battalion in general. Um, so I just encourage people to go on and have a look and you'll fi- you'll probably get captured uh, <laughs> once you enter the site because it uh, there's links all over the place in the site and you just can learn so much uh, in the space of time that you're on there. And um, right now we've been loading up um, film, uh, video, and um, film shot during the war of, of the Māori Battalion uh, and the things they were doing overseas some things that were happening in New Zealand. Uh, it's quite nostalgic, but it takes you back to the time. Because certainly when you look at those that footage, the 1940s is quite a different period than that which we're living in now. So is that why it's so important that the project is spread across different ministries, Monty, so that you're able to access each other's archival material? So with the relationship that the website has with the National Library... The Ministry of Education. There's even a relationship with Natonga Kōrero, Radio right. New Zealand's archives. Yes, I think um, you know. Uh, in time, people will have will realise we have the government to thank for the support that they've given the website uh, through its different agencies. And yes, 
while the lead agencies are Te Puni Kōkiri and Te Manatū Taonga, uh, the Ministry for Culture and Heritage, we have uh, support from um, agencies like um, National Archives, uh, Ministry for Education of Education, um, Radio New Zealand, as you say, um, the uh, National Library, uh, and so they all have records, their own records, to do with World War Two and the and the Twenty Eight Māori Battalion. And so, it's, having them all on board makes it a lot easier when you're trying to borrow or loan uh, material from these different agencies that uh, are going to be helpful to the site. For example, your own Radio New Zealand has all these uh, recordings that were made with Māori soldiers during the whole phase of World War Two that are in Te Reo Māori. And uh, just being able to access those and put them up on a site has been has been wonderful because they're in dialect. And, um, as and it'll be a, a level of real yep. that you, we wouldn't have heard for a long time, Absolutely. if at all, because eh? it would have been, yeah. like for me, it would have been my grandparents' mm. real. First language speakers of mm. Māori. Uh, and as I say, of, of of the dialect from the areas they came from, given that you know most Māori were living in rural areas, then so I, I think that's what makes the site so powerful because you've got access to everything that the government government holds on on the Māori battalion, and all the agencies are open to supporting the, um, the initiative for the website. Uh, and um, you know the. 28 Māori Battalion itself has become a bit of an icon in New Zealand's history. Uh, and a lot of people ask why the 28 Māori Battalion, why not other units? And do you think that's happened at the expense of other, yeah, of other units? Uh, well, I think the, um, we've got to be, remember here, it's that they're fortunate, the 28 Māori Battalion, that they have an association that have initiated this. And uh, a lot of the other units, um, I don't, don't think they have active um, organisations anymore. And uh, so that's really, as I say, that's where the impetus has come from for this. And then you've got a lot of people too who are willing to step up, like myself, and um, you know support the initiative. So that, that's probably the the main reason why it's probably the lead unit that uh, there's a lot of focus on. What well, I mean, they also had a an outstanding um, war record and a huge casualty rate as well, which sort of wins, wins hearts. Because the vets at the moment are members of the reinforcement units, aren't they? Is there right? is, um, at the moment, two guys left, two soldiers left, who were in the original 28 Māori Battalion of those 43. And what age are they? Uh, 93, yeah. And those two are Suhenare Ngata, uh, who's, who lives in Gisborne, and Arthur Midwood, who lives in Rotorua. And then the rest are in their 80s. Uh, yeah, they would be average age of somewhere between uh, eighty-five and ninety. The the others, and most of them would have served in the Cre- uh, sorry in the Italian campaign. They would have been the younger members then. But you know, <laughs> as I say, they, I think eighty-five is about the youngest guy alive at the moment. Is there any story that that you Sticks think mind? really reflects the nature of the twenty-eighth Māori Battalion? Any story that really stands out? If there was a, and there are many stories that that come to mind, but if there was one that I, you know, would would want to recount, it, it probably is the it relates to the Battle of Crete 
and I raise it because next month on the 20th of May is the 70th anniversary of the Battle of Crete and that on that island um, where it was a defeat for the the British forces who were on there uh, but the New Zealanders and particularly the, the Māori Battalion um, forged its reputation uh, on that island and so that all the reinforcements who followed had this uh, warrior reputation to stand to um, live up to after Crete and um, there were bayonet charges uh, carried out on that island because it was close quarter fighting with um, paratroopers, German paratroopers landing all over the place and that one particular uh, place on Crete, 42nd Street um, the 28th Māori Battalion who were down to about uh, three or four hundred men then and given that uh, 700 of them, of them had left for the uh, for Greece and uh, and then they'd lost about a, a hundred in prisoners in Greece and had come across to Crete uh, and uh, were several days into the Battle of Crete and they were down to about three or four hundred active members by then and they were um, uh, fresh German troops a whole battalion of them came upon them and uh, the Māori response there was to, uh, they did a haka, kamathe kamathe, the only time I think in, on at least in the Battle of Crete that a haka was ever performed in an olive grove before before they charged these Germans and this is charging into uh, uh, machine gun fire through, imagine a, uh, a grove of, of olives that they uh, went down and they were witnessed there and joined by Australians other New Zealand units that were there uh, and described almost as a, a human tsunami coming through this olive grove uh, and uh, that's where they their reputation was known that they were when the backs are against the wall that they'll do the unpredictable and rather than run they were going to charge and that was their response throughout the war whenever they were cornered by the Germans and so that that story stays in my mind because the casualties after that charge were very minimal. I th uh, there were three or four killed and about ten wounded um, from the the battalion battalion's men that charged. But uh, the result for that German battalion, that f fresh troops had been landed on the island that morning, um, they were almost annihilated. Um, so yeah, it's. It's uh, a story worth re remembering about why the battalion has this reputation in World War II. Kia ora, Dr. Monty Suta, no Ngati Puro, Ngati Awa. We'll touch base with him again in a few months. And what about the actual website? Good point. I spent time with the content officer, Leanne Tamaki. <laughs> So that's what greets you when you go to the 28maoribattalion.org.nz website. Now, is that Derek Fox? That's some saying that's Derek Fox. Now, I'm talking with Leanne Tamaki, who is the content officer for the website. Oh, okay, I can see on the website that you have choices as to whether you want to hear that or not. But that's quite a neat way of uh, opening a website, eh? Yeah, it's a mahi, so it's always, you know, Māori websites, so that's a good way to introduce people, but also gives that feeling, you know, there's definitely Māori content. 
Now there's a, um, a photograph there that I always see is of some followers doing a haka. Yeah, it's quite an iconic image. Um, it's 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 part of a, a larger image that's in the Alexander Turnbull collection. It's the cover of uh, Monty Suter's Ngātamatoa uh, book. It's also featured in Boy as well, the movie by mm-hmm. Taika Waititi. Um, it's of some battalion members doing a haka in Greece. Now, Leanne, we're on the front homepage of the website and there is... Um, here there, it's like the official welcome to the website and then down in the drop menus is interactive map, photos, video, audio and soldiers the 28th and then the latest added content. So is this a interactive website? Can people just come on and add stuff about their whanaunga? Absolutely. Whilst we, um, that's myself and Monty Suter, we look after the website um, at the Ministry for Culture and Heritage, our, you know, we really want the site to be about the community and the descendants of the soldiers from the um, Māori Battalion. So it's a very interactive website. You can sign up to be a contributor and you can, trib- can contribute anything from photos, video, sound files. And so that's the real aim. Um, we're only on this project for two years and so after that... We hope the community will pick it up and um, look after the website. So can we have a look around? Sure. So if I was to come here and I wanted to know about, say, my karaua, uh, how, would I, how would I do that? Would I go to that box there, the Soldiers of the 28th? Yep, you, there's, there's a number of ways you can navigate the website. So we've got menus at the top just under that iconic image of the men doing the haka in Greece, so you can navigate it that way or you can um, click on any of the other uh, links on the on the homepage. So we'll go to the battalion role, that's the main, that's the first place to start if you want to find um, oh, yeah, any that's of pretty, That's pretty straightforward, eh? Mm-hmm. So it's alphabetically, there's some boxes there, you just put in their names, but I guess for some... People, people, mm. they might not know the name. You yeah. think? Yeah. So um, you can either just go, you know, click on a letter, click on a name. So we'll go to let's go to R. Okay. So let's go to R. <laughs> let's go to Koro. One of my Koroa. Should we look for Rakuraku? Raku. Right. Oh, there's three Rakuraku. So, so if you scroll down the page, yeah, and about. The 20th name, there's three rakuraku. So we've got Paul, Wede Wede, and Fare. Okay, so Fare is. Click on Fare is one. My cool. Yeah. And so you come to a soldier page. So each um, soldier who served with the battalion, that's that's in the first uh, 14 reinforcements, um, they have a soldier page. So it's, it's roughly about 3,600 soldiers. And so we have very basic information um, on the site. So we'll have their um, regimental number, their name, um, their, their first names and surname, and then their next of kin. And all this information is taken from um, when they enlisted. It's because we often get um, emails or people calling in and saying, 
um, you've spelt my kōro's name wrong. Oh, yeah. um, you've spelt my dad's name wrong. That's not his name. And his next of kin was my mum. You know that type of thing. Because um, isn't that funny, Leanne? I'm looking at this and I'm thinking. <laughs> Actually, Kuro's name was Fariawahi. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this is what he would have written down mm. on his on his um, when he enlisted. Yeah. And so, you know, we're looking at ways in which we can um, add to that type of information because you don't want to kind of skew the historic record, mm. um, but you also want people to be able to find their their karaua and. Um, you know, kind of use it in some ways as a means to, um, f- you know, find their whakapapa. Because we get a lot of queries like that, you know, where's my, um, can you tell me anything about my koro? We get a lot of those types of queries. And sometimes we can give them very basic information, but we can also um, show them ways where they can access, uh, like the service records with their Karaua and the Auckland Museum, who we work um, quite closely with, they have quite a detailed database as well, could send a tough database. So you can actually find a little bit more information about so, your Karaua there. So can we click on to that? Yep. So in the soldiers that have passed away, there will be a link to the Cenotaph database. So oh, the yeah. Cenotaph only lists those soldiers who have died and they that's you know, died at died in war or died Died, yeah, uh, post. Well, have died. Yeah. So, um, whereas we list everybody on our site. So if you click on um, the link at the bottom of Whare Raku Raku's record, you'll be taken to a little bit more information. And so this is all the information from the nominal role. So, Leanne, it says, so there's his name, serial number, gender, first known rank, occupation, next of kin, marital status enlistment address, military district and then there's body on embarkation, Yep. second New Zealand expeditionary force what does that mean? So that's just the um, that's what the New Zealanders were known as yeah that's just the over, you know that's just the overall name of the the army and so his embarkation because, unit is the Tuat Māori Battalion etc but let's go back to our website what else do you want to look at? So, photos. And it says there's a box there, related soldier. Ah, oh, yep. Okay, so each page will has um, photos, video and audio associated with each soldier. And so, um, so you can click on that. And there's a photo of Wiri Wiri Raku Raku, uh, his gravestone. He was killed at Faenza. Uh, he was killed in Italy and he's buried at Faenza War Cemetery. Now, and Wiri Wiri was Fare's cousin. Yeah. So you can, that's another way to um, facilitate, uh, you know, f- people who are looking for whakapapa. Because we also have Paul um, Mapere there as well in the related soldier fields. And that was another cousin. Yeah. So we're trying, you know, if they're, they're brothers, we try and put them, and if we know that they were brothers, then we try and, you know, make all those links. And a lot of the time, Fano will tell us. So we just add, you know, it's quite... Um, the site's great because we can change things immediately. So as soon as we get that information, we can change it or correct it. So that's the related um, soldiers' information. And what we're also actually trying to do is... Um, 
get photographs for each of the soldiers, and so Fadia doesn't have one. So you have to send a photo of your koro and Mariah. Right. I'll get on to that. <laughs> you want to look at video? Yeah. Audio? Okay, we'll go to the video page because I'm, I'm a visual audio person and I quite like looking at all this stuff. So we've been quite lucky in that we've got good relationships with a lot of um, archival institutions. So the Alexander Turnbull Library have been um, very generous to us and so they've given us photos as well as... Um, Archives New Zealand, so we have a lot of uh, footage from their collection on our website. Um, we have footage from, you know, before they left, as well as um, during, so from, say, places like Māori. Um, and we also have newer video as well, um, contributed by... Uh, a young girl from um, Te Tairawhiti from the East Coast. So there's a photograph there of the 28th Māori Battalion reunion in 2008. Yeah, shall, shall we play it? Yeah. So this is from um, Hine Paratawoka, and at the time I think she was fifth form, so giving away my age right now because <laughs> I don't know what that is in NCEA <laughs> years. Okay, so let's play that. I te rua te kauma tahi o maihi, rua mano mawaru, i tū te tahi hui i te pōho rāwari marae, o ngā mōrehu hoia o te hoko whetutua. I taimanga kamupine A, B, me D, i te tai rāpiti, i runga i te pōhere o te kamupine C. He rā noi whakaharahara mō ngā i kā whiro, he hui ngā anō tēnei kia kitea nō rātau i a rātau, kia kōrero tahi anō, kia noho tahi, kia ngā hautahi. Now that... What we've just heard there, so we're looking at an image of uh, some of the 28 Māori Battalion vets uh, sitting in front of Te Pohō Rawiri Marae Meeting House at Gisborne. Are there still alive men? Uh, there are 40, there are 44. One of them is the, um, he wasn't a soldier, but he was the um, battalion doctor. Ah, there's Monty Suter. And so on, Parata. Sihinarinata. Now, Leanne, this is largely in Te Reo Māori. Is it an issue for people coming who don't speak Māori? Uh, no. With content like this, we hope we can transcribe them and have them translated because that's a big thing about this website that we want to try and um, highlight the uh, te reo Māori uh, 
resources that are that are out there. So there's a lot that are out there. It's just we need the manpower really to um, be able to get it all up on the site. And because that ill that is being spoken as well in some of the recordings is a very you know it's from the 1940s. So that's that's another bonus and benefit that we hope to um, be able to bring via via the website. Now, is that an, an issue? Because the team comprises of, at the coalface, it's yourself and Montesuto. Um, it's a challenge, and um, we're, we're trying to work, you know, work out ways to uh, meet it, and I, th- I think we will. I think we will. We've got some, you know, we're meeting with good people and getting some really good ideas about how we can facilitate that, so, yeah. Watch the space. Kia ora, Leanne Tamaki, no tūhoi, ngāti mania poto. And we have a longer version of the kōrero. You can go to our website at radionz.co.nz forward slash te ahika. In a few hours' time, people will gather throughout the country to remember fallen comrades and those who have fought in war. Since our last ANZAC programme, eight Māori Battalion veterans have died. They are James Leslie Randall, D Company, Takamuana Bill Dalamere, B Company, Hiriweteri Hiraka, B Company, Ben Ormond, D Company, Reuben Penny, B Company, Darcy Rea, C Company, Arthur Anderson, D Company. John Palmer, D Company. Kua tai anō ki te kapinga a te ahika. It's us for another week. Koe a rā te hōtaka nei a te ahika mō tēnei rā. That's our ANZAC special for this year. After this broadcast, it's available at our webpage radionz.co.nz forward slash te ahika along with photos. Nā mihi aroha ki nga kai kōrero i tēnei wiki. Monty Suta, Leanne Tāmaki, John Waititi, Te Atakura Klaassen, Paul Moon and Harima Fraser from Te Puni Kōkiri, the Ngarimu VC Scholarship Team and whānau, Friends of the Vets. Next week I'm with Hanui Lawrence whose veggie garden at Waipatu Pa, a few k's out of Hastings, is proving to be a godsend for many within the community. Atiwi tērā, ki ngā kaimahi i whakapaipai te hōtaka nei mārunga rorohiko, ka mau ki te wihi. Mai te whānau a te ahi kā, kia tātou katoa. Mauri ora tātou katoa.